welcome to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and today we have an interview with one of my former students, Tanner Webb. How's it going, Tanner? I'm doing pretty well, Patrick. How are you? I'm doing great. I want to talk today, Tanner, about your experience coming through my Microsoft program here at Mount West. I want to talk about uh, what got you involved in computers, whether it was in school or at home, uh, and talk about where you are now so that people can kind of see the trajectory of what you've done in your career and maybe you might have some nuggets of advice you can give to people who are thinking about coming through the same track you did. So what was your first experience with computers? Was it the house? Was it school? Uh, that type of thing. Well, the first experience would really go back to uh, at home. My grandfather actually used to build PCs out of uh, junk parts out of other ones. So he'd, he'd build Frankenstein machines. Really? Um, and I can remember the first one he gave us, no one really used, uh, but we didn't have internet, so there wasn't really anything to do on it, except maybe play pinball. But I do think the funniest thing about that is because it was a Frankenstein machine, it booted from a, a CD, and you had to boot from the CD if you wanted to do anything. Probably Windows 2000. Really? Yeah. And you were booting from a CD? Yes. Because my my grandfather was not at all an IT person. Um he, he was somewhat technical. I mean, he was able to put it together and make it run. Sure. And that wasn't YouTube at that time. Sure. So he figured it out. I guess he couldn't figure out maybe how to partition a hard drive. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, okay, so if, if you're thinking that's Windows 2000, like what what time are we talking about there? Are we talking around the year 2000 in that, in that area? Because I'm just thinking, like, uh, somebody who's putting together a computer, I'm wondering hmm. where they're getting the parts, you know. Maybe that, maybe so. Maybe uh, not too far after 2000, because I'm, yeah, I'm 23, so go back 16 years. That, so give it about five years, maybe. Let's say I was about 10, 11 years old. I mean, was that his job? No, that was not his job. He worked at a correctional facility. Uh, he just liked to tinker with technology. Okay. And I like to tinker with technology. I like to, to take things apart and understand how they worked, whether it be uh, computers or radios or whatever it is. I just wanted to take stuff apart. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother found me very destructive to yeah, some of the parents, household items. Yeah, the heat register, you know, and the, the thermostat in the house. <laughs> I More than once I, I took that apart. So, yeah, I can I can completely relate to that idea. Uh, but yeah, that, uh, when I first think about computers, I think back to that computer uh, that we had that you had to boot the operating system from a CD, and I can remember playing one of the Spider-Man games on it. That was my first experience. Uh, we didn't get in- internet till years later. AOL, I'm sure. I don't remember. Because <laughs> uh, I remember after we got it, I wasn't allowed on it. Uh, no. My father quickly showed me what a chat room was and mm-hmm. told me he would kill me if he ever found me in one. So, But at that time, was that dial-up? Oh, yes. It was dial-up. Okay. It was dial-up. Um, it was. I, I, I do remember it was shortly after we moved out of where we were living because we was out, out in the holler and they didn't run uh, internet out there for us. I mean, we had direct TV and uh, so satellite TV. My parents didn't care. Uh, about computers, they didn't need a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't do anything on the computers. So I mean, I guess I guess their trades weren't really necessary. no. My fa- my father was a mechanic. Uh, mother was at that time. Um, she had been a bank teller and moved into doing insurance. So she probably did work some on a computer, but nothing nothing like we do now. Not at that time. 
no online shopping, nothing like that. Uh, social media wasn't really appealing to my parents, and I don't think around then it was really a big thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I feel like MySpace really didn't come out until probably 2003, 2004, I don't think. I don't know. I can't even remember. I, I, I never had a MySpace account, and I, I feel like I didn't even jump on Facebook until 2007, 2008, so I was a little late <sighs> to that whole party. I had the MySpace, uh, I actually just, I had someone make me a MySpace, because I was like, what are you doing? What are you on? And they made it for me, and um, I used it more for music than I did anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I connected with friends, but at that age, you're going to school with all your friends. You don't really need to worry about keeping up with them and connecting them. Nobody's really saying anything important. Sure. I jumped to Facebook probably around 2010, so well after it became popular. Sure. Tried to hold out. I thought I never thought this Facebook thing would catch on. Yeah, well, I, I didn't. I was like you. I didn't see the reason for it. Because anybody I wanted to talk to, I was going to call and talk to, or I would email them at the time. And so um, it's weird how Facebook eventually became something for me, because I feel like now I go on Facebook to see funny stuff that normally I guess I just had no desire or appeal to find. Maybe a friend would send me an email, but, but now Facebook for me is cat memes and political propaganda. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, yeah, you know the the Obama Biden memes going on right now, uh, Joe Biden and stuff. So oh, yeah. I find honestly now for me, Facebook, Facebook gives me the opportunity to get a hold of people that are no longer like in in my life. Like for example, I don't know what email address I would have contacted you at to do this podcast, but I know that I can reach you via Facebook. So right. so it's weird how. The, the people I'm always talking to, like my family, I see them. It's the people that are more uh, on, on that outer realm of people that kind of went through your life and now they're out doing something else. I can contact them easier via that means. But uh, but yeah, that, I don't feel like there's many days that go by that I don't log on to Facebook. But also, I don't I don't think I would say I'm addicted to it. Um, but it's just like it's something you, you get so accustomed to doing it. Uh, like mm-hmm. when you're driving down the road and you've driven the same way each and every day and then you get to work and someone's like, did you see they were opening up that new building on the way here? And you're like, I don't even remember driving by that building. Right. You just kind of like you're, you're, you're in drive, but you feel like you're in neutral the whole way and don't even know that you were driving someplace. That's how I feel when I'm on Facebook. I just yeah. open it up. It's instinctual. Yep, done and go and do my stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, you look for the highlights, maybe something important. Maybe someone got married or someone's having a baby or uh, maybe something you missed in between the news or whatever. But no, I can understand that. But I think it's funny that you you say you didn't know my email or another way to to email me. I mean, you can almost, if you're thinking of it almost from a contact books on your phone, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't, do you still use the Razor? Yes, I still have my Motorola Razor. So that's the thing. Like, uh, I think we had this conversation. I don't know anyone's phone number. I know yeah. my mother's. Um, yeah. I think I know my sister's. Everyone else's, it's on my phone. If yeah. I lost my girlfriend's phone number, I, well, I go to Facebook to contact her. <laughs> yeah. We would not be dating anymore. She would think, why is he not contacting right. me? Right, but I mean, it is almost like just another book of contacts uh, mm-hmm. that you just pull up when you want to see what other people are doing. Yeah, but um, no, there was no social media. So back backing up, there was no social media, or at least not that I cared to use. Now there was AIM. Sure. Uh, but I wasn't instant messaging people. I was. I didn't. I didn't really get into a lot of that. Um, so we had the computer, but for me and like my upbringing, 
it was just there. Sure. It was a, a tool that could be used, but I didn't use it to pass any type of time or anything. Like I said, the only things I can really remember is playing pinball and maybe um, a Spider-Man game. We didn't really game on it. Well, um, I was about to say, were there other gaming consoles you were using instead of a computer? No. So that's the other thing. We didn't have... Really? Uh, uh, no. My, my father wasn't a gamer. So most of my upbringing, I, like I said, I grew up out in a holler, or a hollow, however you want to pronounce it. Free time was spent playing out in the yard or in the creek or outside. Sure. So after we did get a computer um, and we did have the internet, I still didn't use it. Um, there wasn't much to do um, until social media arrived, until I arrived on social media, I should say, probably in middle school, so 12, 13. Right. So then I'm then I'm on it. I'm on the internet. Um, I can remember then came the parental blocks. Sure. That's that's first memories with it. Never right. really used it for much of anything. Well, I find it refreshing and also extremely impressive. Doing some quick math in my head, you're approximately 15 years younger than I am. I at the age of five or six, my dad brought home the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Mm-hmm. which now just had the the mini the classic mm-hmm. mini get released and so suddenly you know I was I was doing Nintendo I was playing Legend of Zelda I was uh on the computer I still you know had to go outside and play but it is refreshing to think that approximately 13 years later when I when I thought everybody was like born with a computer in their hand that you were still out you know doing the same things no. I was doing yeah. previously No so that's the thing uh you mentioned gaming because I do like I do like my gaming, but my first console was a PlayStation Two. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I came into it late, thinking about like how old I am and the generations of consoles that have come out. So, you know, no, uh, there was no Atari around. There was no NES. Sure. None of that was in our house. But I mean, I, I imagined what well, what I imagine your friends could have had is your friends could have definitely had an N64, or a PlayStation 1? No, man, I grew out in a holler. Everybody played out in the creek. But, you know, years later when I did, you know, when we did get the first computer with the internet and we had moved out into civilization, so to speak. Right. You got to understand. Even then, my friends, we were still we were still outside being, being punks and annoying people and going sure. through people's dumpsters to find garbage. I mean, we still did... Uh, things outside. We didn't really right. do much on the computer. Um, so that leads me... So that would, I guess, lead to, you know, not no consoles. PlayStation 2 was the first one. Then I eventually sure. got an Xbox. And still never did really online gaming. So at this point, I'm, you know, 14, using the internet just for MySpace. Mm-hmm. You know, and whatever it is it required at school. So that was the other side of things. I was using it at school. I mm-hmm. was learning how, what a word processor was. I was using PowerPoint and Excel. Uh, not really Excel. In eighth grade, having to make a PowerPoint that we had to present to the class, um, which you know nobody cared about the information. But it was good that we learned how to use PowerPoint. It was sure. good that we learned how to use Word at that age. Mm-hmm. And I can remember we still we were still saving things to floppy disks. Yeah. So we would save our PowerPoints and our Word to floppy disks, and you wrote your name on it, turned it in. Uh, so I was using a computer more at school. Sure. And that was only for 40 minutes at a day. Sometime later, the Xbox 360 comes out. I get that. Right. 
start playing Halo. Actually, my father starts learning how to play video games with me at this point because uh, probably realize they're not going to go away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we're talking now about 2004. Yeah, we're in the modern age at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was the thing. It wasn't like they were afraid of them or anything. There wasn't a reason. Mm-hmm. They were doing things the way they knew how and were. Um, I don't even think at that time you could do taxes on your computer. Well, I mean... I mean, I'm just trying to think of a practical reason my, sure. my parents would have uh, because they're not going to use it for enjoyment. Right. I will say this. I can remember... I never used it, obviously, but I can remember back when Windows 95 came out. If you bought Windows 95, you could also buy Office 95. And it had what you expect now, Word, Excel, PowerPoint. It also came with Access. And there was an additional program called Money. And Money was out there to compete with Quicken at the time. Hmm. So there there were, were, were programs back in 95, but, you know, a lot of people probably weren't using them. Probably more like uh, accountants, that type of thing, was probably using them. So, I mean, that, that's fine. I just, I do find it amazing thinking about how, you know, 15 years later, you, you are, you are definitely coming up in an age. They always tell me when I go to conferences, they always show this weird timeline on, on the screen. And it reminds you, it says, you know, keep in mind, I don't know if this is correct, but Google came around in 2000. So keep in mind that anyone born after the year 2000, Google's always been a way of their life. And, you know, the iPhone came out in 2004. It's always been a way of life. So they always tell you, even though when I was born, these things come along and I don't feel them as second nature, all these people would. And so I just find it impressive that 15 years after me, I feel like for the most part, you seem to like come up in a, in a life that was pretty close to what I had to deal with myself. So so I, I also find it interesting in, the, in that case that you not having much experience with computers or gaming that much that early on, really you know, using the computers at school, that here you are now, gone through my program, yeah. you're into computers, and you're working in the computer field. Oh, yeah, because so many people, especially my age now, because uh, I'm, tw- I'm 23. I don't know if that's been said. I'm 23. I'm young. So many people now that have gotten into this have been at least had a gaming console handed to them, like almost at birth. I think you made a reference to that. Sure. But I mean, at this point in my life, I do. I have, you know, I have a Samsung Note with me. I have my Surface in my backpack. And, you know, I'm riddled with technology now. But there was a simpler time uh, when there wasn't as much. I remember my first smartphone. I was 17. That was only six years ago. So, you know, you said the first iPhone came out in 2004. I feel like maybe, honestly, I feel like maybe 2008. I feel like probably is is, is a better. I don't have a, I don't have my iPad with me to check it. Right. Yeah. The point, the point I'm I'm trying to make is even, even at 17, Mm -hmm. when everybody has the iPhones Mm -hmm. and has the Samsungs, I didn't get my first one. Until I decided I should try it, I should try to have an iPhone. I had your basic uh, razor, yeah, like you did, uh, like I, I did, do. like I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed that that thing is held on because I had a razor mm-hmm. at one point. I can remember the day it died because the day I died, I flipped it open and it popped up and it said seven. Like okay, 
and suddenly it was it started just dialing more numbers it started calling people i was like holy hell this thing is possessed (laughs) no it just turns out that's what happens when they die Mm. and i'd only had it for maybe two years but no so yeah only recently i would say as far as like it and tech goes kind of a recent thing i never knew what i wanted to do through high school but yeah let's we'll, we'll get back to that um uh, right as I went into high school, they transitioned us to a brand new building. Mm-hmm. And along with that thought was, we need brand new computers. Sure. So they got not only a computer lab, like most schools did have, they invested in getting laptops for every department. And they found reasons for us to use them, whether it be just to play math games or something. So it was pretty cool to see that they were invested in technology, or at least seemed like they were invested in technology, kept mm-hmm. us using computers. So make it through high school. Nothing too exciting happened there. There was some gaming. It's time to go to college. It's time to go to school. Yeah, and there's no real gaming there. So, like, yeah, that's the big question. Well, I was interested in gaming, but I didn't want to make games. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I liked technology. Mm-hmm. So I looked around the area called talked to different people at different schools none of it felt right none of it felt like they were offering what i wanted or at least gave me enough options of what i wanted until i came to mount west and i remember walking into the marshall building and being told to go to the basement oh yeah because we were still on marshall's campus you guys were still transitioning so i walked down and i go to the basement and i'm looking around and i'm looking uh, I think it was referred to as a dungeon. So I'm in the dungeon. I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out where in the world I need to go. Uh, finally talked to somebody and they just, I said, I'm interested in technology and her handing me like six, seven pieces of paper and saying, these are all the different focuses we have. So it was, it was, there was some, I don't think there was gaming at that time at Mount West. This would have been 2012, the end, the fall yeah. semester of 2012. There like, was, I mean, there was. I'm trying to remember yeah. all the things she just handed me the, all these paper, and I remember. Well, I mean, looking. you probably got you probably got an animation and gaming one. You got a web one. You got the three different network ones. You I got remember the, the GIS, three, yeah, and just thinking, whoa. Well, and they also handed me a biomedical instrumentology. Mm-hmm. I think is what it was called. Yeah. We'll say that's what it was. I mean, there's there's a biomedical instrumentation. Well, here, and, yeah. the, and, and I remember the conversation being with. At that time, I believe we had three counselors. So I remember talking to her about my interests, which, like I said, I had no idea what I wanted to do at all. Um, I had taken all those silly exams uh, that you that tells you what you should do with your future. It tells you what you are interested in. Like the ASVAB aptitude style tests and stuff. Yes, yes. I've ta- I'd taken all the aptitude tests. Got different things every time. I remember at one point I was told I could be a lumberjack. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Not as funny as the kid in front of me being told he should go into clergy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was an option out of those. Right. So um, I just remember being handed all these options. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is what I need. I need options. Really? Yeah, because I had, I had no idea, but I knew I wanted to do something with technology. And I thought what I wanted to do was stuff with physical technology. I wanted to touch stuff. I wanted to build stuff and take stuff apart. To which she equated that to biomedical instrumentology. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. One of those courses led me to the first 
IT class, the very first one everybody gets introduced to, which was operating systems. Oh, you mean one? So it was one twenty? I believe so. Oh, I didn't know if you meant like IT one hundred one, Word, Excel, PowerPoint. But no, no, the operating systems class, which I think at that time it may it may still be, which was the starting point Mm -hmm. for anybody doing anything technology related. I I feel pretty confident in saying one twenty is needed for all of our IT options here. Yeah, I remember I ended up in that, and. I knew a bit of it already. I knew how to turn a a computer on. I knew what a hard drive was. I knew the basics. It was interesting to hear the history of the internet and hear the history of computing and all that. But what really did it was that first day of building the operating system and putting it into a network and FTPing files back and forth. And then it's, okay, let's blow it all away and let's do it on Linux. Let's do all the same things on Linux I was a lot of fun, to which then led me, I believe, into your security class. But I can't, I don't remember how exactly that happened. I don't remember if that was the curriculum needed for biomedical instrumentology, or if I was like, "Hey, I need an elective. I'll take security. Hear what it's about." I mean, I, I don't, I don't believe the security plus is because after part taking of security plus, mm-hmm. I can't see why that would have anything to do with biomedical. Biomedical, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I remember just sitting there thinking, this is crazy, hearing some of the security things we were talking about, hearing a lot of things I didn't understand by far, Uh, a lot about protocols, a lot about addressing, things that just kind of was like way over my head, but excited me. And that, I remember, led to a conversation with you sometime in in the future, uh, halfway through the semester, about more of these courses. I can remember we had some more talks about what it was I was currently doing, pulling out my file and trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do. It also helped that I had a friend in, in these courses. Anthony, yeah. Who le- also helped me go to Mount West. He was the one that told me he was going there. I should check it out. So I, I can remember talking to you after having p- half of your Security Plus class and looking at some of the options and talking it through with Anthony. And remember having a conversation with him are you going to stick with it well if you stick with it i'll do it (laughs) so i can remember after after those conversations with you and uh anthony and deciding yeah i I think i want to try it and you know doing a little not a lot of research about it and the forecasts for it and all that because uh, the big reason for me to go to school was my father driving it into my head uh, you don't want to do what I do every day for the rest of your life. You don't mm-hmm. want to wake up at four in the morning and work until four in the evening and your body hurt from all the work you're doing. That eventually led me after the, con- like I said, with the conversations with you all into trying IT. And I can remember I did it all out of order uh, because of switching majors. I can remember, um, Taking, I I think I barely passed the Security Plus and then moving into your four Microsoft courses the next semester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and remember you walking in and going, all right, here's how this is going to work. There's a reason these classes are four to six every day. We're going to cover one book in four weeks? Yeah. Two weeks? Four weeks? Well, yeah. You, first one usually about six weeks. You know? Yeah. I like to break them in easy. Yeah. Well, I, actually, what I 
really remember about that day was the absence of the professor. What? You weren't there for the first day. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, wow. I remember that semester. Yeah, that was the semester that they had They basically mandated that I quickly fast-track my master's degree. Yeah. And so I had told the dean, I said, look, I have a Monday night class at 4 o'clock. And they said, I don't care. Go ahead and take that 4 o'clock master's class. That was way more work than I wanted to deal with <laughs> because I you know, I had to do twice the work. I had to go ahead and pre-record your all stuff or, or figure out how well, it was going to work. That's what I was going to say because I can remember someone that was not Patrick Smith walking into the class and going, hello, I'm not Patrick Smith. <laughs> no. My name is Josh Joseph. Yes. <laughs> Here's a video from Patrick Smith. And I thought, oh, Lord, don't let this be the whole semester <laughs> of this guy showing us YouTube videos of what we're supposed to be doing because the other professor is too busy doing other stuff. Now, I didn't know you very well at that point. Right. But I was I already had a sinking feeling that it was going to go bad. But I remember your video you did explain you had you had a master's class um, and that Mondays were going to be a little bit different. You scheduled most of our tests to happen like on Mondays. And I can remember the first day uh, after the video, we took the test. The pre-test. And me and uh, Anthony walking out and thinking, are we in over our head? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because just, uh, we didn't, I know I didn't understand a single question I looked at. And just thinking, this is scary. <laughs> but it was kind of exciting. Because, uh, you know, did have to remember. He did say, you know, this is to benchmark how it's going to go. So you, you're seeing what you're going to learn. You know, it's like taking the final at the beginning. That way you can compare it at the end. But I can remember then when you did come in and you explained how the classes were going to work, how in four to six weeks we're going to cover one book, and every night we would be going over the same material. I can also remember... I can't remember the gentleman's name. It's like the third week in mm. a gentleman came in and was like, sorry, they uh, held me up at the registrar, but I'm supposed to be in your class. Oh, yeah. and you pulled him outside <laughs> and I believe you pulled him outside and you explained to him how the course works. And you were like, you got to understand we're actually preparing for the midterm at this point. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what? Well, I'll try <laughs> I'll try because we had just I do remember I think we had just finished the quiz one I'm pretty sure and him sitting down in the front and uh, his eyes the whole time just being as wide as could be and that was a Tuesday the Wednesday he did not come back he dropped it yeah just and it, it's not it's not because well for one you would never start a class in the middle of the semester no which is how the kind of that class was working yeah uh, but also just the intensity of it, because that whole first book was Active Directory. Mm -hmm. So the point he probably walked in was probably GPOs or something crazy. So I can remember that. And I, I do remember how intense those classes were, especially for someone that knew how to use a computer, but knew nothing about how computers interconnected. It was It was difficult trying to for the first time learned some of this stuff because I had kind of done things out of order. Like I said a minute ago, I missed the networking plus I hadn't had a plus mm -hmm. I hadn't had 
Um, I'd had the security class. But you I, hadn't had the, the client class either, advanced operating systems, which at the time probably would have been my Windows 7 class. Yes, yeah, so I hadn't had that either. Mm-hmm. So I was literally being thrown in. Right after operating systems 1. Yes, after operating systems which one. by default that is the prereq. That's yes. the only prereq. So I actually I went from zero to a hundred mm-hmm. very quickly, and I was in over my head. Mm-hmm. But I liked what we were doing. Mm-hmm. I liked I liked the way the class was structured. I liked the professor. I liked what I was learning. A lot of it I did. I still had some trouble with. And Microsoft's a tricky thing, um, especially with their testing. So I was all about it. I did enjoy it. Struggled a lot at the beginning, but once we moved past Active Directory, it got a lot better, I think. After learning a few people's study, study habits and learning there was a better way to memorize the things I need to and a better way to work with what we were working with. I will say I have found that, you know, when I took these classes to Scott and Nicholas, there were probably, you know, five, six different ways that people went about it. Because some, some people could sit in the classroom and just soak in what he was saying and regurgitate it. And that was me. Because I could just, like, it just, I was a sponge at that point. But, you know, some people met in um, study groups and did flashcards. Some people had to write it out. Some people had to, to do hands-on. You know, it's all these different learning styles. And so I, I completely um, encourage people figure if the way you're studying doesn't work find a find the way that works for you because this will help you in this class and other classes well see i always thought studying was just show up listen to the high points and take down notes well i mean i thought that was all i needed to do um because that's kind of what happens in high school i was the kid in the back Mm -hmm. back corner i owned that corner (laughs) in the back corner uh just thinking holy hell i have no idea what's going on well, you were recording the lectures to begin with. Yeah. And then making them available to us. And then finding out that at that point, the best thing for me to do was just pay attention. It took too much time to take notes. It took mu- too much time to do anything else but just pay attention. And then it was better for me outside of the class to go back and listen to the recordings and take my notes then. It was better for me to uh, listen to everything recorded after the matter. And that was the best way for me, for me to study this stuff especially being the kid in the back corner that it only had operating systems one. Sure. Which, by the way, after doing all that, really made the other classes much easier. The Network Practicum, the Network Plus, and the Advanced Operating Systems all, all seemed a much, much better mm-hmm. uh, time. It made a much better time of things uh, going that route. Don't advise anyone do that, though. <laughs> stick, to the, stick to the curriculum sheet. Right. For whatever you choose. You know, one thing I'll, I'll say that I found interesting that you mentioned was it, it seemed like you were saying that one of the reasons why you chose Mount West is because there was so many options. And I kind of inferred from that that you didn't know what you wanted to do, but you wanted to go someplace where if you needed to move around oh, and yeah. be flexible, that's why you came here. Well, yeah, because I didn't know. Like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew what interested me. Didn't really know what IT was. Are we able to talk about ITT tech? I mean, they're not a thing anymore. Yeah, sure. So yeah, like uh, I can remember going and talking to them because at that time they were presenting themselves as the mecca of anything technology related. Mm-hmm. And I can remember going and talking to them and them laying out the fact 
that there was all these certification courses to follow. There was an MCSA, an MCSE. There was kind of paths you could go. What do you want to do? Security? Do you want to do networking? Do you want to do like application operating system administration kind of stuff? And being like, yeah, sure. (laughs) I don't have an answer to the question of what I want to do, but I kind of like the idea that I could spend my time here figuring it out. But then finding out that Mount West offered the same kind of scenario. They had all the options, and they all went into the the same routes that I was presented at, at ITT, and thinking, that's a hell of a lot cheaper. And I felt more comfortable making that commitment of Mount West and being able to float around until I, fi- I thought I was going to float around. I, I did. I expected to be the college student that spent... 10 years trying to figure out what they were going to do. But instead, it worked out very well for me that after two semesters, I figured out that IT is awesome and that's what I want to do because there was so much to learn and it just keeps growing. So there's more. Every time you figure something out, they're ready to roll a new technology out to make your job even better. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of things that led me to Mount West, friends, price, and the curriculum. I find that the choice part interesting because it seems like when you listen to marketing people, yeah. they go, no, 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 don't don't give people choice. If you give them too much well, choice, they're going to be inundated and they won't be able to make a decision. That so, may be true. That may be true for some people, mm-hmm. but maybe maybe I'm just fickle. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I get it. You wanted to be able to have options. You're right. And that... And it also made me a terrible salesman because I, for a while, worked at Sam's Club selling electronics. Mm-hmm. It made me a terrible salesman because somebody wants a router. And I go, well, okay, what are you going to do with it? Okay, well, let me show you these two. I can understand it because I, I, knew, I knew what it was like for somebody to come in and they just want to be shown what to buy. They want you to hand it to them and say, sure. go buy this. I was never that kind of person. I was like, I was all about options. I wanted options. I wanted you to have options. That's just how I worked. Mm-hmm. That's what I liked about Mount West. And it's it's great because you guys have a lot of options in comparison to some of the other places I've looked, especially for technology. And you're branching those options. You're adding more every time every time I come down here. And that's good to good to see and good to hear because you know, we don't ever get to make it to the advising meetings you guys have Mm -hmm. so happen to fall every time we're ready to do a dr but it's good to see that you guys are wanting to branch into some of the stuff uh, i would mention but yeah uh, mount west does offer a lot of options i had no idea what i wanted to do so that's it was perfect it gave me the general ed to get through and to kind of look and try, but I really didn't have to look and try much. Uh, It just took a few conversations with the right people to figure out what I wanted to do, what I wanted to get a degree in. As far as what I wanted to do with that degree, I was still on the fence, which the internship program obviously helped me out very well with that. Sure. You got here, you were in biomedical, you switched over to my option. Now, I'm pretty sure you switched over to the the full-blown Microsoft option we call network administration. And so, as you said, you you went through the Microsoft classes. One thing that I'll point out is I, I did really like the way Microsoft did the 2008 curriculum. 
which was the curriculum you took, because, <laughs> well, when I moved to 08, I was shocked that if I went by the proper numbering, which we did of 641st, with 640, it was Active Directory. And I was, first I was intimidated thinking, there's going to be a lot of remediation. Like, I'm going to have to teach people what a directory services is first. Like, there are so many concepts I'm going to have to just be like, bear with me. You're going to figure out what this is. I know at first you're going to have no clue, but just bear with me. I needed to find ways to, like, bridge the gap to explain what a domain was. But I also think, as you mentioned earlier, once you got through that first class, that first hump, that was like, that was basic training. It was like trial yeah. by fire. And then the second class, which was network infrastructure, you're like, oh, THCP and DNS? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. So, like, it got you over that hump. You learned ways, like, a lot more in that first one. And then the rest of them kind of started to fit in pretty well. I liked the way it was structured. I, um, I did your 2012 upgrade, mm-hmm. and I've sat in a few times on your 2012 class. And uh, I know we had multiple discussions about how that class was broken up in comparison to the way you taught the 2008 because of the book structure. And I liked, I think I like that better because you hit on Active Directory and everything it contains from, you know, Microsoft standpoint of, of doing things. You hit on Active Directory, you hear some crazy things you may not be used to. I mean, there was a lot of things I didn't understand, a lot, a lot of things I didn't know how it worked. But as you moved on to the network infrastructure and to the other pieces, it may have seemed redundant at times, but it, it, it made sense what you were reading about. It was building. Yeah. You laid a foundation that you were building on right. a different aspect of it. I mean, because you learned things uh, about AD. You learned everything AD, but then you learned how these other pieces of the Microsoft servers functioned with ad mm-hmm. and i liked that it still caused still caused me some issues i still wasn't sure. very good with it but i did like that i did like the fact that you hit on that setting the foundation of what is the biggest piece of it which is active directory and then from there um how those other pieces worked with active directory well I mean, I do, I do agree for the most part. I like, I like the curriculum, but what I will say, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with this, the first seventy-five percent of the book was fantastic because you all learned what's a domain, <laughs> yeah. what's a group policy, what's an OU, what's a site. That's all great, but the last half of that, last third of that book, they hit you with DNS. Oh yeah. Active Directory Federation Services and Rights Management Services. And because of that, I did not have many students who went through my Microsoft curriculum who actually passed the very first test. And I kind of think that was a little bit self-defeating. If you could not get past the first test, you're not even going to try the second or the third or the fourth test certification-wise. And so even though in 2012 they repositioned things, in 2012, my third book is called Advanced Services, and in the Advanced Services, that's when you finally hear about Federation Services and Rights Management Services. I'm happy they moved those out because I feel like that was a swift kick in the butt at the end of that class that you thought, oh my goodness, I think I understand this, and then right at the end, it rears its ugly head 
in the final. Oh, no, okay. No, I, yes, I will agree with you there. Um, I will agree with you there that it's better to move that around. But they're going to change it. Sure. So. Yeah. So you went through my seven classes. You were a 2008 person. So based on that, that means you got experience with terminal services slash remote desktop services. You also, in my sixth class, I think, got to have some experience with Exchange 2007. And you, you, like you mentioned, you took my upgrade class. So you all were my, my last iteration of 2008 before I switched over to 2012. So um, Exchange was something I, I severely missed in 2012, and I'm, I'm bringing it back next semester, actually, 2013. But uh, once you went through all that, you, you took my storage class. Yeah. Which the EMC storage class, you took my virtualization class, you took the networking practicum class. At that point, taking all that, did you decide to take any Cisco courses or did you decide to stick more software? I wanted to take some Cisco courses. I wanted to keep continuing my education. I wanted to keep learning about networking. I wanted to keep learning about everything networking. I wanted to keep learning about everything that Mount West would offer technology-wise. Even the graphic design stuff. I just wanted to. But at the same time, I wanted to be done. I wanted to have my degree, and I wanted to move into a job working with this skill sets. Well, I'd also think that no matter how much you wanted to possibly do something else, the the internship you, you took, which yeah. you end up managing to transition into a full-time position, you decided... This is an excellent opportunity. I I'll, I can come back and learn more later. I want to follow you know my dream with this because this is probably a once in a lifetime opportunity for me to continue on with what I've gotten, and so I'm gonna ride this horse until it dies. Pretty much. I mean, because I I do I love my job. I love the technologies I work with, and it did. It really did work out well that the internship turned into the way it did into a full time job because. It was great to see a lot of the technologies being used that we were learning about, but I was never allowed to touch any of them, which you're not going to let your intern touch your sensitive systems. Uh, you'll maybe grant them some read access to look at things, uh, but you're never going to let them actually be responsible for anything, actually be able to do much of anything. You, you know, you're just not going to. And you're an, you're an intern. As I was often reminded when you're an intern, you're there for the grunt work. You're, you're not there to be an admin. Uh, but I did. Uh, so it was, it was nice to see a lot of the things that I learned were being used at the level I learned them. Because uh, I can often remember some of the horror stories that you would mention of companies don't stay up to date. The, the horror stories of them not uh, keeping up with technology and, you know, we're going to keep using 2003 servers or we're going to keep using 2000 servers. And because I can remember reading uh, in some of the books or talking about, you know, the fact that certain things can't be done in a 2008 R2 environment if you still have NT servers. I can remember thinking, well, why would you still have that? And then hearing the horror stories of how companies don't want to invest in technology. They don't want to keep up with technology. They just want it to do what they want it to do, and that's all they're worried about. 
So it was really nice to also see that, that they were doing that. They were keeping up with technology. They were embracing it and seeing where it could go and how it could better the company. So to see some of the things I learned being used at the level they were made it really exciting. And it, it did. It worked out well that I was able to get a full-time job there and be able to get more invested in the team and more invested in this technology. Getting, being able to use some of the virtual stuff, being able to use some, some of my AD knowledge, just being able to use what I had just learned. It was, it was exciting. And the fact that they do keep up with their technology and they, they do keep a sound investment in it is really exciting because of the fact that if we want to update something or whatever, it can, it, we can. We can keep things rolling. So at the, at the same time, I do, want, I do want to come back and learn new things. I have learned some new things. I've taken a Cisco uh, boot camp on certain networking pieces. Actually, I've taken two Cisco boot camps on networking pieces. I got to uh, take a few VMware courses while at VMworld. And I do. It's something that really excited me was the continuing part of it is there's always something to learn. There's always something new to do or to look at and put into your environment to make it better. Once you were finished here, you did go and, and do an internship your your last semester and, and managed to move that into a, into a job. And I know that in a, in a previous podcast, I interviewed Chris Felix about doing some security compliance things you all have to do when you're in, a, in an environment where there's a lot of PII involved out there with all these people's information. So, and I think he even had, had teased that in the next disaster recovery, you all were going to do as a test. He was going to put you through the paces in a couple of areas. So, so if you would talk about talk about what your trajectory has been there, what they've given you the option to do. I know you said as an intern at first it was very much look but don't touch, mm-hmm. and so then mm-hmm. when you got on the full time position you started to be able to actually play an actual active role in, in that organization. Right. So so if you would talk about what your area is, and I'm also curious to know, based on that area, did you stick to your to the what you'd gone here, or did you find a new niche that you really liked that you're you're gunning for, or that type of thing? Yeah, so, uh, well, like I said, as the intern, your intern, you're swapping hard drives and cleaning. Uh, mm-hmm. You may, if you're lucky, you get to run some cable. Mm-hmm. Um but after that, after becoming a admin, quote unquote, it was nice. You know, I still had to do the grunt work, but I got to do the grunt work of an admin. You know, you got to do the cleanup of systems uh, usually first, and that's that's where I started. I started with cleaning up our AD. Let's just clean it up. Let's get rid of things that we don't need, which actually kind of helped me a lot because that helped me learn our system. Because I'm running over to our lead, going, "Hey, what is this? Can we get rid of it? Does anyone use it?" So, I mean, are you talking about like how when you originally got there as an intern and um, for people out there who don't know, Turd Ferguson's an employee in the accounting department and Turd Ferguson gets fired. And so Turd Ferguson's machine might need to be repurposed. So they would give the computer to Tanner. Tanner might wipe the hard drive. He might install the operating system, the base operating system again, push it back out there. And, and now that's the computer for Burt Reynolds the next that was, time around. That was literally my job. 
Yeah. So yeah. you would have to was, wipe them. And- I'm wiping hard drives. I'm changing actual hard drives um, because sometimes the easiest way to do an operating system change is to just change the whole thing. Don't upgrade it. Just get rid of the whole thing. So there was a lot of that. I can remember. I I used to have a tally of it. I probably changed some thousand hard drives. I guess my question was going to be when you moved up from that, was it the well, idea that an Active Directory, Turd Ferguson's computer uh, so icon yeah. was still in there, and you need to figure well, out which icons not are so dead? Much, not so much just the icons as much as their information, the data they left behind. Does anyone else need it? Is it pertinent? What do we do with it? How do we handle that? When Turd Ferguson leaves, what do we do with their home directory? What do we do with the their, files? Their mailbox. Yeah, what, what do we do with the mailbox? So there was a little bit of that kind of cleanup. Not mailboxes, though. That's usually really well taken care of. Things are usually very well taken care of. I work with a really awesome team that we do a pretty good job of making sure the stuff stays cleaned up. But there was some things that it's like you don't want to do i don't know if chris had mentioned it in his but it got pretty scarce on the number of admins they had there for a second so it was pretty much just him and one other fellow taking care of removing and adding people well because that can that can be a very slippery slope yeah you can lose information that like legally you have to still keep for three years and stuff like that you're talking about people not only coming and going but you're also talking about Two admins for a whole company, taking care of information, taking care of servers, taking care of anything that encompasses the IT department. With no delegation? I mean, no. Oh, no. You haven't you haven't gone in and said Tanner can take care of the marketing OU. Is Tanner a outside of technology person? Is Tanner a user? Oh, so you mean like their entire IT department was two admins? Pretty much. Wow. Uh, there was help desk that was troubleshooting issues. As far as supporting the infrastructure, it was down to two admins. But some companies are, I've, I've learned will will run with. But it doesn't go well. You can miss a lot of things. Well, I just think you might have like one admin and maybe four assistant admins who you've delegated rights to this well, OU or this OU. That way you got one person who holds the not, keys to the castle, but not big got enough for generals. That. Okay. Not big enough for that. So, but yeah, I had to do cleanup. Mm-hmm. So it was like, whatever anyone else didn't want to do, it was now my responsibility to do. Mm-hmm. Which I was fine with. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So I'm still swapping hard drives, mm-hmm. re-imaging laptops. I'm still doing some of that grunt work, but now I'm getting into systems I'm getting into the environment and I'm, I'm able to start learning more about our environment. And because I'm learning about it, I'm eventually able to start doing things uh, that you don't trust your intern to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, But also because you took initiative, you're like, oh, I get to tinker with that and take yeah. it apart? Yeah, I'll totally do that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, there was some systems I looked at and was like, guys, there's a better way to do this. There's a free way to do this that's better than what we're paying for. Which I feel like you mentioned to me previously that before you were there, they were using good old-fashioned Symantec Ghost for their imaging technology, and you kind of steer them towards Windows deployment services. Yeah. Just just because we focused 
not only did I learn that, I helped you with that several times. Yeah. So, you know, knowing how to build an image and knowing how to use an answer file, I felt it was an easier way uh, to image a laptop or a computer and a quicker way to do it than put, uh, pushing out a copied image and then having to change everything I just put on it. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's one that is uh, probably the biggest example as when I first started as, hey, guys, we can do things but, uh, in a better way. Twitch also was looked at me, well, you're the one that's going to be doing it, so do whatever way you want. Well, there you go. <laughs> so but as things progressed, as we made changes, um, you know, 2003 was gone. Support's been dropped. We need to update some servers. I got to build some servers. I got to help update some servers. And as things go on, like Chris mentioned, I got to work with him on learning more of the virtual systems. How does our desktop infrastructure work? And the best way to do that was to take me to DR. Uh, we're doing a disaster recovery rehearsal and say, here, here is my notes on how to recover our system. Do it. I sat there with his notes, and he watched over my shoulder. He would point things out. I mean, he didn't completely just say, build the system back. He did help quite a bit, he, he, and he showed me how, how certain things worked, how certain things fit together, and for me, that was probably the most eye-opening moment for our infrastructure, of learning our infrastructure, because uh, if you got to rebuild the whole thing, you need to know how it works. So at that point, I got Chris's approval. Uh, you did pretty good. You know a lot more now. Gave me more access. Gave me more responsibilities. Next go around, it's DR again. Do it twice a year. It's DR again. Do the whole thing by yourself. I felt pretty good about it also because working off his notes and the notes I had made from it, I really only had to bother him when it was something outside of what I was doing. Hey, there's an issue with the network. These, well, what's wrong? These VLANs aren't matching up when I tried to do something. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's not you. That's the networker. Okay. And from there, it's just it's just kind of progressed as we've done more more things. One of my first one of my first projects I didn't really want to be in be involved with involved a phone system. Because everybody hears horror stories about phone systems, which now I know they're not as scary as you would think. As Chris would say, we all have our one system, the one you don't want, the one that causes you the most headache, but everybody has their one. Uh, for some people, it's exchange. For others, it's file repositories. For me, it was call recording software because nothing works the way it should. <laughs> so it's your necessary evil? Yes, that is it. It is my necessary evil. But I feel like it, it did me a lot of good to be handed that because my first go with it was fix the problem. It wasn't you're going to learn it. It was it, The first go with it was fix the problem. Open a ticket, work with the vendor, and fix the problem. First ever experience with something like this. I didn't know you could open tickets with an application vendor. I didn't know you could go back to them for support. I didn't really know that's how things worked. I mean, you're probably paying them for a contract to do well, that. Well, of course. You know, no, they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. <laughs> Whoever does anything like that. 
but no, so that was the first, first experience was being told, okay, you're going to open a ticket. You're going to work on this problem. Here's who you need to contact. Here's who you need to work with. Here's access to the system. Get it fixed. And I think it took maybe about two weeks working with two different vendors because uh, you got to work with the phone system and you got to work with the recordings to finally get it working, figure out what the issue was, and get the ball rolling again. Because they were in the middle, is the middle of an implementation. We got to get things going. So I, I feel like that did me some good. It really kind of helped me learn a bit more of how a business functions, how corporate America works with technology. Because it is different working for a company that utilizes technology than it is working for a company whose business is technology. So it was it was a good first step in to be able to clean up systems and help with updates and then be given a problem to fix. So after I fixed the problem, it became my necessary evil. And it I swear it breaks once a month, if not once a week. I'm actually off this week. Uh, I took PTO and um, it stopped working in the middle of the night. Um, so I had to wake up before 8 a.m. and fix it. <laughs> on my day off these these little things that some people saw as problems or as things they just didn't want to do so they just pawned it off on me really helped me in the long run Mm -hmm. it helps me learn more of our infrastructure more of our system it also kind of just showed me that i like what i'm doing even though it's a necessary evil it's my necessary evil i do and at times enjoy it i do i do enjoy fixing the problem well, but I also think, you know, to a company, that's an excellent trait to have because ultimately, if someone is working there and they're getting paid and they're like, oh, I hate this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, hand it off to the new guy because uh, it's a pain in my butt. When they hand it off to you and you enjoy it, I mean, <laughs> I guess if it was. Well, it, it, shows, it shows a different type of perspective maybe yeah but i just think like you know if it's if you're thinking of like a an archetypal cartoon or something like that where like the person's like i don't like this new employee i'm gonna give them the stuff that i don't like oh man that new employee loved it oh yeah you know but but suddenly now you have a place at that company they've handed it to you and like they're like ha 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 look what we've done job security you're like i've got something now and you know you're good at it and then you know the bosses see you and go Oh well, you know, person X over here never wanted to deal with that. Person Y loves that. Wow, well, he's doing really good with that. He's taking off with that. Maybe yeah. we can give him other stuff as well. Yeah, um, that very well may have been it. Kind of, uh, kind of a one man's trash is another man's treasure, almost. Right. That may that very well uh, could have been the perspective of my higher up. I, I don't know. I do enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy showing up and. If things are good, things are good. I'm getting work done. I'm working on whatever I am. Maybe I'm updating something or I'm upgrading something or or something like that. But at the same time, I enjoy the problem solving. It is bad when you show up to work and everything is down. Mm-hmm. Everything has gone bad. But there, I do find some enjoyment, usually after the matter, find some enjoyment in the, the we fixed an issue. Sure. Yeah, we solved a problem. We may have caused the problem, but we fixed it. We we got to get down in the dirty of something and find an issue and resolve it. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy that. So both sides of it have been great for me. Yeah. 
You actually earn your money that day. Yeah. yeah. Whether we cause the issue or not, though. Yeah. In, in, just in case you cause a dirty shutdown or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, an exchange dirty shutdown. Yeah, if some, you know, maybe somebody did something they shouldn't have in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... But you document that later so it doesn't happen again. Right. We all learn from our mistakes. And as bad as it can sound when the... When the bad things happen in those situations, you learn a lot about your infrastructure. Uh, you learn a lot about how things are connected and how they should be connected. So you learn how to fix the problem for the future. Mm-hmm. So it's been nice. It really has. There's not a lack of progression. They want us to learn more. They want us to do, uh, they want us to keep going. They want us to keep furthering our technology which allows us to further further our knowledge base so it's nice i really like what i'm doing and who i'm working for yeah it's nice when you hear that from places because you know like i feel like in scott's podcast he talked about how sometimes some some people are like well i don't want to learn anymore or the bosses want me to learn anymore because they're afraid i'll leave it's nice when you can have like a nice symbiotic relationship where the company's like we want you to learn more because we know that if you know more you're going to be able to help make us more agile with our with our technology there's there's a value to it yeah it's a win-win situation in that regard so i think chris had said in his podcast that and you you mentioned it again here that you get to do the uh, the dr for virtualization are you normally were you normally over the virtualization or he said you know it's a good time to learn. It's a good time to learn. So, yeah. like, you, you got to so bring them back up. I got to do your basic administration tasks, but when it came to virtualization, I didn't know the, the nitty-gritty of it. I didn't know how it connected. Um, I didn't know how it was built. I knew how to do your basic administration tasks. So it looked as a good opportunity for him to pass that skill set on so that someone else knows this system. Mm-hmm. And it paid off. For probably both of us, we really uh, we both enjoy it, and I enjoy working with Chris and uh, the ideas that we bounce off of each other for making making things better and making our jobs easier for not only our DR but our daily basis of using virtual technologies. I just know you said you are you were definitely the person over that uh, that call recording manager. But, oh yes, but- I'm unfortunate. That's unfortunately my necessary evil. But yeah, I am now. I don't know how you want to say it, but yeah, I'm very involved in the virtualization. I'm not the only team. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and for people out there who may not listen to the last podcast or are not even aware of the concept, you all do end up doing a concept known as VDI, virtual desktop infrastructure, correct? Uh Yeah. And so that's uh, for people out there who don't know, that would be the idea that, that technically you may have a terminal in front of you, a computer in front of you, or if you ever notice when you go to the, uh, to the doctor's office, if you're in the patient room and you look over and you see a computer in the corner and you're looking at it and you're like, I see a monitor, keyboard, and mouse. Where's the tower? Where's the CPU of that thing? A lot of times if you look behind it, there'll be a hockey puck looking or a, a Roku or Apple TV looking device that hooks up to the network. And that computer itself has a very bare bones operating system whose entire job is to connect them to a virtual machine on the network so that if you run out of that office with that little hockey puck, you didn't steal their computer. You didn't steal their corporate data. You didn't steal patient records or whatever. All that stuff was stored somewhere else on a server. It was protected. 
And so that's the type of way you all do your systems as well, right? Right. So that's one of the things I really liked about taking taking the virtual class. Because you got to see what I now consider the easier way to do things. Um, like I said, I got to go to the VM world, and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people are embracing virtual technologies and learning how to utilize them in, in uh, so more than just the VDI. It is great to work with virtual technologies and see how it makes our jobs easier, uh, especially as admins. It's great to have a central location to look at everything. It's great to administer desktops. It's great to be able to have one place to do all your updates at, at once, be able to know who is assigned to what, who's using what computer. It, it's great from an administrator standpoint that if anyone's not using a virtual environment, really need to look into doing it for your users' desktops because uh, it will make your life so much better. It, it can be more expensive, though, right, when you're licensing well, software? The licensing can be pricey, but you said it yourself, you can get some cost back off of hardware. There's no longer a point to that user having, I'll be generous here, a computer with you know 8 gigs of RAM on it and a dual-core processor. You don't need all this hardware. You don't need a box. Uh, actually, one of the cool things I, I liked when we were at VMworld was there was now people selling zero clients, and they're probably not new, but that's the first place I had seen them, a zero client, which is basically your all-in-one monitor that just has a Unix kernel on it that goes straight to the desktop. There's no longer a point in having you know, dual licensing on your Windows. There's no hardware costs are, are cut down. And your hardware costs can be cut down even more because everything is in a central location. Um, you don't have to have a server farm for all your systems. So there's, there is a lot of benefits to it. Mine happened to be more on the, v, uh, the virtual desktop side just because it, it really does. It makes it so much easier to administrate desktops. But, I mean, that hockey puck in comparison to a uh, small Dell Optiplex, the cost is... It speaks for itself. And one that you're going to have to do replaceable parts on and right. and buy more RAM for and that type Memory of thing. goes bad. Hard disks go bad. Probably the biggest reason for the death of a computer in an office is people kicking it over. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You, you didn't have very big desktops. but And, and so that's another thing. Uh, your users will love not having a giant clunky piece of metal on their desk, under their desk, or anywhere on anywhere near their desk. You can go down to using something the size of a Raspberry Pi, or you can go even to the extent of using it all in one screen. It really does work for the best, uh, for not only for the user, but for you. And you probably enjoy as an IT person not having to cringe when you walk by and see someone have their coffee cup in their DVD tray, you know, that type of thing, or, or they're not abusing their computer in some way, shape, or form. Well, I, I can tell you this. Um, I really enjoy not rebuilding the same computer three times in a year because someone can't understand not to put it in the middle of their, underneath of their desk to where they're going to kick it over. So what do you all do if someone has to insert media, USB drives, that type of thing? Or is it the idea, this is a secure network, you shouldn't be doing that? No, no, no. That is still able to be done. 
by using USB CD-ROMs. So the boxes we use have USB ports on them. If a user needs to work with a CD, we'll let you use a USB CD-ROM and you bring it back. Now, if you're that one user that is burning CDs, mm-hmm. we'll give you one. So, but I mean, so you're saying this is um, they're plugging up to the hockey puck. They're plugging, plugging up, up to the hockey puck, and then that's going ahead and integrating. Um, yeah. So. Uh, when it comes comes to other resources like giving a user more RAM, maybe you can give them a little more CPU power because they're they're on your team that do, does a lot of number crunching. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I just need to click a few buttons and well, they have more RAM. Sure. And then I imagine too, it's probably similar if anyone out there has ever done a remote desktop session before, where you connect from your machine to another machine. You got the option to say, do I want my hard drives to come along for the ride? Do I want my printers to come along for the ride? That would be the idea. The hockey puck would be your quote-unquote computer that's connecting to the virtual machine, and you could allow those local resources plugged into that hockey puck to go on over. Yeah, it it works really well well in that sense of of being able to bring any physical resources. But the nice thing about a virtual desktop infrastructure, there isn't many resources to bring. You want to try to make your desktops as close to what physical hardware you would be giving them virtual. That way, there's no need for a f- uh, any type of physical resources to be brought over. Now, the, now the downfall is CD-ROMs are still a thing. Uh, DVDs are still a thing. People are still using them. That being said, you do have to have some possible physical hardware but Mm -hmm. the thing i the thing that i always always think back to is i mean there is ways to get people whatever is on that email ftp there's softwares out there that will act as an ftp but allow you to write stuff straight to somebody's nas there there's other solutions now those aren't free sure they do come at a cost so you do have to look at the longevity of it well i mean i have even like even gone ahead and in a pinch, if I've had to deal with a laptop that didn't have an optical drive, put the CD into another optical drive, plug the USB in, copy the data over, plug the USB drive in, because you've got USB ports. So, right. And as long as it's not like a game that expects a particular folder to be in the root of that drive, right? you know, if it's like a, an HP driver disk, you can set up your printer that way. Well, so. I mean, we're now able to build operating systems onto flash drives. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of the things I read about and wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, wanted to just build for the fun of it. Like uh, I believe it was Edward Snowden would use a certain flavor of Linux that he could run from a flash drive. So mm-hmm. he would plug he could plug into any computer, reboot it, boot to his flash drive as if it was the hard drive, yep. and go about his day. But I mean, the thing is, though, we're we've slowly been getting away from the need of physical media, and that's really the only. I'm just trying to think uh, as far as physical resources that are needed. Uh, CDs, flash drives, I mean, even printers don't they're, even have to be physically. They're ne- yeah, they're networkable. Yeah. You know. So, I mean, we're, we're getting, we've all but gotten away from the need to have any type of physical resource other sure. than a monitor. Mm-hmm. And I'll throw out there, even though Edward Snowden was using a flavor of Linux, ever since Windows 8, you've been able to go ahead and make a Windows 8 to go USB right. drive. That was just one example that came to mind. Sure, yeah, but I mean like yeah, even even for the common person since Windows 8, you've been able to make a Windows 8 to go USB drive that you can just take with you and you plug in and when it boots up, it doesn't even care what the internal hard drive is. It no. it puts a it puts a separator there to where the only 
only well, device you can see is that USB drive. Because you can you can just partition out your flash drive however you want it. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, just just a little little know how, mm-hmm. and you got a mobile operating system on a flash drive. True. Um, yeah. Just need a monitor. Which I mean, that's almost what a Raspberry Pi is. We're I mean we're to the point where I feel I feel like the virtual is the better way to go for things now. If you, uh, a conversation we often have is, if we had to do it again, how would we do it? Mm-hmm. Well, if you have to do it, if you'd have to do everything again, have to rebuild everything over again, you would want to do it in the easiest way that requires the least of, amount of administrative effort. That's totally Microsoft right, right there. The least amount of administrative effort, yeah. And I feel like the least amount of administrative effort is to virtualize. Yeah. Do it all in one place. You get mo- you get a lot more, you know, bang for your buck ROI in that particular case, oh, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. You build one desktop so, image that can be used by thousands of computers. And, yeah. and you're done. Mm-hmm. You want to update that image? Update, update that the, image? Mm-hmm, the gold image. Push and it then back out. push it back to every desktop. Yeah. I mean, it... it, it there's there's amazing things you can do with it that make you makes your job so much easier. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true, very very true. So as you've been working there in your time, have you um have you found any nuggets of wisdom from from working with clients, working with customers of that institution, or or funny stories you might want to share and talk about? A nugget of wisdom, I would say, and this isn't just have to do with where I work. This I would say this you should take this for everyday life is everyone knows something, but there's also something they don't know. So just because someone may be the smartest person in a room on a piece of paper, doesn't mean they know how to use a computer. And just because someone does know how to use a computer, doesn't mean they know how to use it properly. Don't assume that because someone's a doctor on a piece of paper, that they know the difference between a, a piece of software and the piece of software's manual. Uh-huh. So just because they can, you know, do a triple heart bypass on yeah. you doesn't mean they know that that PDF that's the manual is not the EXE they're supposed to click right. to run the application. Exactly. They have their specialty, you have well, yours. I mean, and that's, it, it, so yes, you have your specialty, they have theirs, but especially if you're going to be in IT, you got to be patient with people. Don't assume everyone even knows the basics of computing, especially if you're working in a non-technical environment. You may have to explain the, the difference to someone of what a document looks like and what an executable looks like. Mm-hmm. You may have to explain to someone the difference of the little hockey puck and the actual CD-ROM you've plugged into it. I, I think it has been mentioned on this podcast before multiple times, but... I will belabor the point over and over as as to what you said. Keep in mind that the people you are supporting are your customers. Even mm. if they work for your very company, you are getting paid to support your fellow coworkers. And so it's in your best interest to treat those people with respect. Assume that you probably don't know about accounting or payroll. That's their area of expertise. Right. So when you come in and work on their payroll computer, they may ask you questions and, you know, you may not know how your W-2 is made. They know that, but you know how to fix their computer. And so be cordial because you like to have repeat business from them. And even if you work for the company and you say, well, Patrick, how can they have repeat business from me? That means you don't get fired. 
Exactly. That means that they don't go to their bosses and be like, man, Patrick's a real jerk. I want to lodge a complaint against him with HR. So whether you work with them or whether they're paying you actually as a customer, you just need to be nice to people. Respect them if they ask you questions, you know, small little things. Feel free to try to explain it to them. Don't talk down to them. Because I feel sure if you go down to HR and you and you ask the payroll people, you know, how's this W-2 thing work? I'm sure they're not going to treat you like an idiot. They're going to try to explain it to you. So just be nice to them and, you know, you, you will be able to get very, very far in your job. Well, you any job. Yeah. If you're nice to people. I guess my other nugget of advice would be, you know what you know. If you don't know something, ask the question. It's funny that they that you know the saying is there's no uh, wrong question, there's no stupid question, just stupid people. <laughs> that's what that's what I've always heard. I've always, I've always heard them say there's no stupid questions, just stupid, stupid people. people. Um, yeah. That may be true in some cases, but in in the case that I'm speaking, uh, in a general case that I'm speaking, if you don't know, you don't understand. Ask as many questions as possible. Sure. I love. Well, I, I I don't care if I have to make somebody uh, upset because I'm just not understanding what they're saying. But it's in their best interest that I understand what they want. If they want something from me, mm-hmm. especially in the in the IT field, they want something and they want the right thing, and they expect technology to be brought to them quickly and right. Make sure you know. Ask questions. Yeah. Even even the most basic way of asking something will reveal a small nugget of knowledge that you needed to know to do something. But if you're if you're going to be put in charge of something, don't be afraid to say, I don't know how that works. Mm-hmm. You know what you know. Even if they start to get aggravated at you, you can say, look, I'm sorry I'm asking you so many questions. I just want to make sure I get this right the first time right so it's less less time that also I have to don't work. don't be upset if you don't get it right the first time mm-hmm. but just make sure you get it right the second third fourth yeah time. Uh, learn but, from your mistakes yeah but uh that that's my big that would be my biggest thing especially if you work in it most people will say this for most of the fields they work in but especially if you work in it communication is key you've got to make sure that your users understand things you got to make sure you got to understand things from the uh, from the side of the user and here's the thing they don't care I, I, I love to hear that from some people I work with that our users don't care what we're doing just that we do it right just that they get what they want and it's true uh, as someone that doesn't work with technology they're not going to care how it works they're not going to care what lingo you're using or the fastest processors or RAM I mean, you can give your you can take your users from using a 32-bit processor with three gigs of RAM. Tell them you're giving them eight and a 64-bit quad-core processor or something of that mat- nature, and they're not really going to care. They're going to think, "Oh, that's nice. They just want to work." Yeah, or, or you know, the biggest complaint you always hear is, "I can't print." Yes. They don't they don't want to know why they can't print. All mm-hmm. they know is they want that white sheet of paper to come out of that mm-hmm. laser printer down the hall. Yeah, don't make yourself sound like a nerd and try to explain that, you know, there's some type of issue that you have found. Just tell them you found the issue and get it fixed. Mm-hmm. But no, really, you got to be patient with people. You really do. In IT, it's hard. I find it, it usually is hard for us to talk in plain terms to people. 
You may have to explain what a start button is. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. You may have to walk a user through the process of shutting down their computer. The things you're going to see are going to amaze you and make you just go, wow, you're in charge of something. Don't say that out loud. (laughs) Just get your job done and then go complain to your teammates. Right. Well, I I know it's also been said more than once on here that – it sounds like a funny joke you always hear on the, the, the BBC show, The IT Crowd, but n- good half percentage of the time, if you just turn something off and turn it back on again, it does actually fix the problem. It does, but I'll tell you what, man. You're going to run into users that don't know how to turn something off and back on. Do be prepared to explain what it is they need to restart and how it is they need to restart. I, I know I've had many... Many phone calls. I don't know who did it. Me and Chris have been looking for them, trying to figure out who they are. That has told our users, if you shut down your virtual desktop, it will go away. It's just like delete itself. It's just gone. <laughs> that it's a bad thing. Because <laughs> I have. I've, I've, I know I've, you know, that's where you should start. Did you turn it off and back on? Well, let's do that. And you go to walk them through that, because it does happen. You do have to walk a user through restarting something to find out that they go, I thought I wasn't allowed to do that. Well, why not? Well, because if I shut down my computer, it goes away because it's virtual. That's not how this works. <laughs> That's not how any of this works. <laughs> right. So, so really, I mean, my, my, my advice is to be patient, talk in plain terms, and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Ask questions. You may find out that a, what you thought was a router Mm-hmm. It's actually a Wi-Fi extender that was straight out of the box plugged into the wall. Mm. You may find out that the phone uh, Ethernet cord is plugged into the handset receptacle. I mean, you're going to... Wait, 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 wait. wait. The, that's, that's an RJ45 going into an RJ11? No. <laughs> oh. But, I mean... You're, you're going to hear crazy things. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody did that. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be... If they, you know crammed it in there as hard as they could to break it. Well, I mean, I have seen where, um, you know, you have two different RJ45 connectors on the wall. One mm-hmm. says, like, uh, computer. One says phone. Or I've seen it before, like, what they'll do for the projectors, you know, AV, and they'll plug into the wrong one. Because, oh, yeah. you know, it, it fits. This must be the right one. So <laughs> that that does happen. And I think also you, you might have a story about how you shouldn't leave footprints. So not not... Not exactly my story. I do know the individual, though, that, yes, there used to be an issue with someone who would leave footprints on the uh, switch rack in the, in the wiring closets because, I mean, hey, where else would you want to take a nap besides a nice, cozy uh, wiring closet? So, so you had a wiring closet someone would go into, and there were somehow footprints on the side hey, man, you of, take a, his, of a vertical like, take, network chassis. So, so you just you just got to go in there. You got to take a stool with you. Now, wiring closets are typically not very big. So you go in there with a stool. You sit down. You put your back up against the wall, and you kick your feet up against it. You uh, you keep you keep your feet there for a couple hours every day. It's going to collect some dust over there. You're going to be le- left with some footprints and apparently some Mountain Dew bottles. Okay. <laughs> so then, how? How does I mean? I'm sure as an IT guy, you walk in and you see footprints, and you go, 
Okay, those are Adidas. I, I, <laughs> I know the only person in the office that wears Adidas, but how does that get circulated around to other people in the office? How does it, or how does it keep from getting circulated? Well, I mean, I, actually, I guess Sol- either, solidarity. E- either and then both. Solidarity. you got to watch out for your, other, your, your fellow admins. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I'm sure somebody heard some snoring, and I'm sure it's been an issue, but, you know, you are in a workplace, and if you're caught sleeping, you don't stay in a workplace very long, in my experience. Well, I mean, I, I would just think that a, a wiring closet would not be the place, you know, a higher-up manager would normally go to. Go to. So I, I thought that would be a pretty good pretty good uh, secret that would stay that way for a while. Well, somebody has to have the keys. So one, one way or the other, you're, you're seen, you're found. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we, we, we have experienced... Uh, experience that i know one of my one of my experiences with with the same gentleman had been a uh working on setting up laptops while working in in our assembly room it's off off out of sight of everybody you know so you could you have a secure door where you can assemble your laptops and not worry about them walking out the door turning around to find find said gentleman asleep with his feet kicked up as the intern what what do you do uh, I mean, you just continue to do your job because you'd like to have an actual job there one day. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, so I'm you unaware of what to do. I mean, I I mentioned it to a few of my coworkers and kind of like, yeah. But I mean, the thing is, is you you can't sleep on a job. No, not not if you're getting paid for it. That doesn't make much sense to me. No. no. Well, Tanner, thank you so much for coming in and, and telling us your story. I think it's I think it can be highly useful for someone who's looking at going into the into the the field, trying to figure out what they're going to do. I never even thought about the idea of Mount West being a place you could come that would give you the flexibility to figure out where you were going to go and what you were going to do. So, I think that's excellent advice. And and I'll just remind everybody out there that Tanner has said several times that. Uh, he absolutely loves technology, learning technology, and learning new things. And that's what you're going to have to do in this field. It never stays in one place. It's always moving. And the best thing to do is to find what you love to do and get paid for it. Because then, you know, as the old saying goes, you'll never work a day in your life because you absolutely love what you're doing. So thank you so much for coming in and talking with me. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people out there will find this very, very useful. No problem, sir. It's It's been enjoyable. Yes, thank you. So that's going to do it this week for Talk on Tech. I haven't said it for a while, but feel free to go on Twitter. We are Talk on Tech MCTC. If you want to check out anything there or send us a tweet, that type of thing, you can also email us at talkontech at gmail.com. And finally, find us on iTunes, but of course, also find us on our website of talkontechpodcast.com. Thank you all so much, and have a great week.